Hey everyone, this is Junior. I'm the pastor of Freedom Church here in Hawaii. Thanks for taking time to listen to our messages online. Our desire here at Freedom Church is that you would encounter God in such a real way that it would lead you to experience freedom in all areas of your life. So whether you're listening to this at the gym, on a run, or a drive somewhere, I hope you find our time together to be encouraging, faith-building, and life-giving. Well, this week we're ending our, our series called Trust Issues, and um, I pray that it's been a blessing for, for all of you. And one of the things that I, I really had a thought about this morning was I get up, you know, I get up fairly early every day to leave for work, and, um, you know, I, I, I love traffic. I just love it so much. I just love sitting in it. I love um, how people drive in it. I love the, the, the Aloha spirit in it. I love everything about the traffic. I, um, and I'm just joking. So I try to leave earlier than the traffic, but when I get stuck in it, um, it's, it's just a time with me and Jesus. And Jesus works on me a lot in traffic, uh, if you haven't uh, you know, experienced that yourself. But that's some of the best ministry time in the world is in traffic. Um, but, you know, so there, I get up early in the weekend. So sometimes on the weekend, I, I, I also get up early on Saturdays. I get up early on Sundays. And there's no day I sleep in. I don't like sleeping in. Um, not that it's a waste of time, but I just, my body's already set to where I, I can't sleep in. I know some of you are like, I love sleeping in, Pastor. What are you talking about? I can't get up early, but I love sleeping in. So I get up on Saturdays to go to Starbucks early in the morning, and some of you have seen me there, and I've met a lot of you um, in passing, getting coffee, going to sporting events or the beach or whatever. But I, that's where I get to do my work because as I work my 40-hour-a-week job at uh, the shipyard, you know, there's not a lot of time. I got my kids. I got stuff I got to do at home. And the Lord chose me for this position knowing that there's a finite amount of time in my life. 24 hours in a day, 168 hours a week or something like that, right? There's only so many hours in a week. And, and I know my time already is taken up by all that. So my, 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 compl- my, my job is not to complain about the time I don't have. It's to maximize the time I do have. And when God has given you 24 hours in a day like everybody else, if you complain about the time you don't have, it's not because he hasn't given you enough time. It's how are you spending your time? How are you using your time? And so, um, so on, on Saturday mornings, I get up early enough where I can go to Starbucks. Nobody bothers me. Throughout the week, the Lord downloads messages to me. I, I kind of put them together, and I go to Starbucks on Saturday, and I kind of um, throw everything on the table and look what I got and draw arrows and connect everything together and say, this is the message for the week. And when I get there, I see a lot of people passing through, and, and sometimes a question comes up, Pastor Junior, isn't this, like, hard for you to study in, in Starbucks? Like, isn't it? A lot of distraction, a lot of, like, things going on. I say, well, I have my, my noise-canceling headphones. I sit in the corner. Sometimes I have a jacket on. I have a little bubble around me. You know, no one can, can contain, you know, I kind of have my own little stuff. He goes, yeah, but isn't it distracting? I said, no, actually, if I stayed home, it'd be more distracting at home because I got a TV there. I got a refrigerator there, a microwave, a stove. I got um, my kids are there. My wife is there. My dog is there. Uh, my Xbox is there, my computer, you know, everything's there. So I could be more distracted at Starbucks. At least I know there's a place that I'm focused and that my headphones are on. And, and most of all, when I get there, I always ask the Lord every Saturday, Lord, um, as I'm doing work here, Lord, let me not forget that I'm a minister of the gospel. So, Lord, if anybody needs to hear your, your word today, anybody needs a prayer, anybody needs an encouraging word, just let me be a minister today. Not as a pastor, but just as your ambassador and so some Saturdays, I have good conversations with people. Some Saturdays, no conversations. But I find that, you know, for me, a great time to 
just be a minister to our city, you know, just hear people's stories and whatnot. And so one of the things that that that, that question always reminds me of, and that's going to be our message today, when people ask me, ask me about distractions, it is so easy in this world to look at our life and get distracted. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. The message title for today is don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Do not get distracted. You know, one of the things that, that I think in this day and age, and, and I love technology. I'm a tech head. I love anything with computers or, you know, anything with the internet. I love just technology, video, audio. I just love it all. But I know the more and more the airspace gets crowded, the more and more it's easily, you can get distracted. You can get distracted of the important things, you know. Starting off the year, it's almost February already. And many of you guys in here have either declared resolutions, made private resolutions, um, posted your resolutions on social media. And my question to you is, how are those, how are those going? Are they still in effect? You know, it's so funny because yesterday as I was studying at Starbucks and working and doing some other things, um, in our house we have this app that likes to do 24-hour surveillance on people. And so we just got it because, you know, our, my son drives now. So this app attracts people, all of us in our family, and it tells us where we are. And it's not because we don't trust each other. It's because we want to make sure people are safe. So we've already decided in our own home we're going to track our kids. So don't judge us, okay? If you're not tracking your kids, then it's up to you. But we decided, hey, kids, we're going to get this app. So all of us are going to be on it. So you can see where mom and dad is. You can see where um, you are. And I can even see, Zeke, how fast you're driving right now. So don't be driving over the speed limit. A couple of times you had to bust him. He's like, how did you? Oh, the app. Yeah. I was like, yeah, the app. We, we, we saw you going 70 miles an hour, bro. You better tone it down. And he has the audacity to come and tell me, Dad, I want a 350Z. I'm like, no, you're getting a, 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 what you have now, which is my beat-down truck. You can have that. You're not taking a brand-new uh, sports car. So anyway, I'm at the Starbucks, and I'm doing my work, and my phone rings every time somebody, and I see my wife's thing, bling, pops up, and she's leaving the house. I'm like, oh, where, she's, where is she going? Like, like, normally she's still in bed right now, you know? Like, she loves her sleep, so she normally she's in bed. And I'm like, oh, where she's going? And I, I go, okay. Maybe she's going to the store or whatever, so, you know. I don't track her like that. I just, it just popped up on my phone. So I just looked at it. I'm like, oh, she's going somewhere. And then I'm doing my work, and I go, I wonder where she ended up. So I looked at my phone, and I'm like, the Croc Center? Like, what's at the Croc Center that she would be interested in at this time of morning? <laughs> and all of you are like, how rude, Pastor Junior. And, and you were right. She did go there to work out, but this was her first workout of the year, right? So it was like it was not a usual event. So it's been a while. And I was like totally shocked and caught off guard. I was distracted from my message because my wife did something unexpected. And so I found out she went there and she's like, yeah, I went through a cycling class and I saw so-and-so there, I saw so-and-so there. But I feel super like pumped and I went. Like my, my spirit, my, my mental state, I feel super pumped. And then later on, soreness sets in. And she's like, I don't know. Oh, I'm so sore now, man. I don't know. And, you know, it begins to like, she begins to think about her decision of going to the gym based off of the physical pain she has now. You know, sometimes, even in our own life, and, and, and I'm making an example here, like we make these good decisions, don't we? And we feel good about making those decisions. And we feel good about maybe the initial um, change of our behavior, initial change of our direction. And then all of a sudden, some pain sets in. The pain of change. The pain of, uh, of the unknown. Maybe the pain of people doubting you. 
Maybe the pain of people trying to, trying, to, trying to speak into your life and say, who do you think you are? Maybe the pain of people doubting and criticizing. And I want to tell you, no pain, no gain. So if you're in the middle of a walk right now, maybe you came to church and this is all you hear, God bless you, don't stop. The decision you made to follow after God this year, the decision you made to leave that bad relationship, the decision you made to start being more intentional about your parenting, the decision you made about not hanging out with the boys anymore and coming home to your wife and coming home to your kids, the decision you made about not criticizing so-and-so today but actually encouraging them, and even if nobody on planet Earth gives you credit, keep on going because God sees you. God knows your heart. God is prompting you to do these things, and don't let distractors distract you. Don't get distracted. Because Proverbs tells us if you submit your ways to him, God will keep you on the straight path. God will keep you on the path that is straight. You know, it's so funny that I talk about social media and I talk about, you know, these things because I, I really think it's a, 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 you know, it's both sides of the coin. It's very damaging, very ugly, very dark in some sense, but it also is very connected is very um, encouraging at times. It's, it's very productive in some senses of the word. But it's a distraction for some people. It is. It's a huge distraction in our society. And I'm, I'm not here to down it or to endorse it. I'm just bringing it up so you can look at it and allow the Lord to speak to you where you're at. But on social media, there is this thing that I recently discovered. And, and, and if you've done this on social media, um, no judgment to you. Um, but when I discovered this, I was like, is this a real thing? Is this something that, you know, people are doing nowadays? And, I, and I, I investigated it more, and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. But you guys ever heard of this thing or this trend in social media called the glow up? Where people post things of themselves not so in good light, and then they start posting things, like maybe a picture in fifth grade where they have braces and they have glasses, and it's like, this is me in the fifth grade. And then they start doing this morphing thing when they start showing themselves maybe as a, a young adult and they're all like glammed out now. It's like, it's called the glow up, you know? It's like they were once an ugly duckling, now they're a beautiful swan. And, and I haven't seen dudes do this yet. It's mostly the females. But I asked, I'd asked my son about this. He's like, oh yeah, the girls do that all the time. They love posting things about how they glow up, you know, how they go from not this ugly duckling to like now this beautiful whatever. And, and people do it because why? They get a response. I'm not, you know, downing anybody who takes care of themselves or who wants to look good. You do what you do. But it's so interesting that we focus a lot on our glow up, how we look on the outside, when God is more concerned about the inside. Like, how are you growing on the inside? How are you growing up in the Lord? How are you maturing in the Lord? Are you just caring about your physical look, or are you actually growing up on the inside? Last week, we talked about spiritual maturity, and that's going to be a big word we're going to be using throughout the whole year. I don't know what's happening on the inside unless it comes out somehow. And, and for me, when I am on platform and I see somebody worshiping and their hands are up and tears are coming on their face, I know something's happening in their heart. And I also know when someone's sitting on the chair with their arms folded, with their, with their heads bowed, just being solemn, I know something's happening in their heart. So there's no judgment either way. It's not like, oh, one guy's more spiritual than this person. But my prayer is that at least something's going on. That you're not just here like, mm, when is this thing over? The song's been going on for five minutes already. The person singing. And all you think about is the logistics of your time in worship. 
When God is saying, I'm trying to get you to think about what's happening on the inside. That's what these words are doing. These words are meant to express what we express about God, to God, and for God. And when we say, all my life you have been faithful, there's some people in this room, those words are words of life. Like they know exactly what that means. Lord, when I was in 1998, my marriage was going to crash. Lord, you've always been faithful. Now my marriage is restored. God, when I got that bad report from the doctor and my wife found out she had cancer, you never left us or forsake us. You walked with us through all that. See, we understand all that. And my heart is that when we in this room together, that no one judges anybody else's walk. However, we should be challenging each other to say, man, what is God doing on the inside right now? Because the longer you stay focused on the external, the longer you stay distracted the longer you will stay far away from God's plan for your life. And this whole glow-up thing is so interesting to me. Don't go out and look at it because you can get distracted. But, but think about how you're growing up on the inside. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul talks about this interesting distraction. And I pray that this is something that speaks to us this morning. And Galatians 1, Paul is talking to the church of Galatia. And Paul, if you guys aren't familiar with Bible, is this man who was formerly a persecutor of Christians. God met, uh, Jesus met him on a road as he was about to go to persecute Christians, had an encounter with God. His life was changed forever. He was a Pharisee, one of the smartest dudes you ever met. His resume is impeccable. And when God grabbed a hold of his life, his life was then now in service to God. Man, I can't imagine. Think of the most influential person you know right now in your life or in this world. And if that person is not a Christian, and one day he encounters God so radically, and then his life is totally sold out for God, imagine how you react to that. You know, people were afraid of this guy. Like, really? Paul? Saul? He's a Christian now? <laughs> right. I'll believe it when I see it, right? There were other people that even God told them, you got to go and see this guy. He's like, no, Jesus, you know what he did to, to believers? I'm not going, I'm afraid. God even allowed him when he came to uh, know Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior, allowed him to, to have time away so that God could deposit things in his life. It says like he, had, he, he didn't even go and spend time with people you know, it says three years, he kind of, God hit him. God put him in places where, where, where God and him were just um, spending time together. And so when Paul now writes to the church of Galatia and to Corinth and Thessalonica, he's writing not out of just hypothetical or niceties. He's writing out of a sincere heart for people. And so when God speaks, I hope you hear God's heart. I hope you don't hear just his rules or his do's and do nots. I hope you hear his heart. Because when Paul is speaking to the church of Galatia, he gets right into it. Some of the letters you read, it's a long introduction to kind of get and ease into the message. But Galatia was in such turmoil because people was trying to tweak the gospel. They were trying to get the believers to um, not go back to, not, not trust in grace, but trust in works and trust in, in the external and trust in what they can see. And so when Paul talks about uh, this in Galatians 1 and verse 10, he talks about his resume. He talks about the things that he has done to set up the church with this phrase. He goes, I did this. I did that. I'm an apostle. I was chosen by God. I've seen this. 
And he goes, but am I seeking, in verse 12, the approval of men? Or am I seeking God? Am I trying to please man? Because if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Referencing his former life. He was a people pleaser. Verse 11, he goes, but I make known to you, brothers and sisters, that the gospel, the good news that was preached, that's preached by me, is not something that is made up by man. I didn't receive it from man, nor was I taught it from man. But it came through what? Revelation. That's a word we don't use a lot in church because it sounds like a scary book of the Bible. But it's a word in our Christian maturity, there it is again, that we have to come to grips with. What is that? Revelation. What is revelation? God revealing himself to you. And my question to you is this, and don't raise your hand. Don't have to give me a smile or a wink or a look down saying you did it. But have you encountered God in such a strong way that you're like, whoa, there's no denying that's a revelation from God right there. Because that's what makes the difference, you know. It's not reading more Bible or praying longer or going to church more times a week. It's encountering God in a personal way, in, a, in, in an intimate way, in a way that's so real and tangible. And it's not just, and again, I'm not trying to placate your life. It's not just in a way that's break glass in case of emergency kind of way. It's in such a way where God's in the room and you just are overwhelmed by his presence. Like, oh my gosh, God is in this place. Whether you're moved to tears or taken to your knees or hands lifted high, there is a reaction to the presence of God. That's my prayer for us, church. That's my prayer for me. I, I got up this morning saying, God, when I go to church this morning, I know I'm the pastor. I know I got to say something. But God, can I just enjoy your presence this morning? Can I enjoy my brothers and sisters in fellowship this morning? I'll share your word because that's what you've called me to do. But God, I just want to enjoy you this morning. Can I tell you, I've enjoyed this morning so much. Because I'm giving you the word that God gave me. But in myself, I'm just enjoying the presence of God. It's a funny thing that Paul brings up. That his testimony or his reason of preaching, his reason of living the way he does is because of the revelation of God. That's what trust is when we've encountered God in such a real way. That when God reveals himself to us, we can trust God in that portion of our life that says, I may not see it, but I know he can. I know the power of God because I've, I've, I've been around it. I've heard his voice, maybe not audibly, but I've heard it through a song or a Bible verse. And sometimes we think making this, this, this or having an experience or an encounter with God is so complicated. It's, a form, it's not a formula. You know, you know what it really is in this day and age? You know what it really is in this day and age? Purpose time with him. That's all it is. That is all it is. Can I tell you that? It's not the Bible app. It's not a reading plan. It's in your 24-hour day, do you spend time with him? That's it. Do you give God one hour, 15 minutes, half hour, two hours, three hours, I don't know, of your day? Oh, I don't have time, Pastor. I'll just make more time. You don't make time. God gives you time. He gives us 24 hours in a day. 
Your decision is to say, this is God's time. From 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. is God's time. That is what I'm talking about, church. That is the, that, that's what encountering God is like in the 21st century. In this day of distraction, in this day of busyness, in this day of hurriness, in this day of other things that don't produce value in our life, but we love it because it produces endorphins and whatever it may be, we have to put God first in our schedules. And we will encounter him. We will. We will. And that's my challenge for you this week, church. It's not to do anything for anybody else. It's not, in a sense, to walk away from here saying, what do I have to do for others or be for others? That's not the goal. The goal this week is for you to say, I need to give God his time. Sit down in a quiet place, open the Bible, or whatever it is, and say, God, this is your time. And if you need help, you're like, Pastor, it's easier said than done. I know. I'm not trying to make it complicated. I'm just saying, just tell God this is your time and see what happens. Just tell God this is your time and see what happens. Sit on the couch. Turn the TV off. God, this is your time. See what happens. I'm telling you, God hears that and God will answer it. And you will know that God is in the house. And that is a way for us to begin to say, you know what? The encounter with God is a place for him to reveal things to me. I love that about Paul where he tells the people of Galatia that there's other people trying to tell you stuff, show you stuff, distract you with stuff. But the real stuff is found in Revelation. When God shows you a picture, you can hang your hat on that. If God tells you one thing and man tells you ten things, I hang my thing on that one thing versus the ten. So what is one of the benefits of encountering God and, and giving him his time? Revelation. All of you in this room practice revelation every day. It's called Facebook. You love knowing the news. You love scrolling through people's feeds. You love this. You love that. That's a form of worldly revelation. You know that, right? Did you hear this? Did you hear that? Did you hear this? Did you see this? Oh, I better text somebody. And you begin to get insight from the worldly things, and you share those things. Why don't you share the godly things that God reveals to you in a text? Why don't you share that? Hey, no, God just spoke to me. He blessed my child with a scholarship. Praise the Lord. Text that out to people. Versus texting, did you hear what President Trump said today? Stop texting some of that stuff. You know what? Nowadays, I'm just getting my soapbox here. Nowadays, people love to post things that shouldn't be posted. How about this challenge for you this week? How about you post to praise God this week? How about you use your chance to post something, to praise God for something? Post a picture of a car and say, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would not have a way to go to work. Praise God for my car. How about you take a picture of your, your, your child and say, man, these kids, although they're a headache and they work, man, they're gifts from the Lord. Cheese, Andrew. Not saying that's how your mom thinks about you, right there, right? Or how about kids post a picture of your parents and say, even though my parents are mean, they lock me down, they want me to do homework, but they're a gift from God. Like post things that praise, that give glory to God. Stop worrying about politics and medicine and the food you eat and the clothes you wear and the car you drive. How about you give praise to God for the things he's done in your life right now? Let's give God praise for that. Because you know, he goes, am I trying to please man or am I trying to please God? If I were trying to please man, how could I be a servant of Christ? You know, I got distracted this 
morning because it's so easy. Huh? You know, by nature, when I first came to know the Lord, and it's because how I grew up. It's because of, I'm not, again, knocking my parents. My mom comes to this church. My brother comes to this church. I'm not knocking anything that they did or didn't do. I'm saying I'm a product of that environment. And when I became a young adult, one of the biggest issues I had in my life is distrust of people. A lot of distrust. And so when I came to the church, you can imagine how those two worlds collided. And when the Lord started to work on me, he reminded me that, that that's something he wanted to get away from my life. And the fact that I didn't trust people was only the tip of the iceberg. The other part of the iceberg that was like a side effect to, to my dysfunction growing up was that I was a people pleaser. You know what I'm saying? Like some of us in this room still seek the approval of our parents for some reason. We're adults already. No judgment. I'm saying, is that where your approval comes from? Is that where your worth comes from? Ultimately, like it's nice to get compliments from your parents and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying, but is that your worth? Is that where your worth is derived from? Or is it straight from your creator? So when I grew up, I would, my default was, they don't like me. How can I make them like me? And so I would do things that would make them like me because, oh, God forbid, they don't like me. That was like a death blow to me. That was like the worst. For some of you in here, you're like, I could care less if anybody likes me, okay? Take me or leave me. And that's fine. But I think the majority of people, if you look at your life, there, has been, there have been times when you did something just so that people would like you, just so that people would accept you, just so that people wouldn't reject you. God is reminding us those things are very, they, won't, they don't matter in the kingdom because God sees you how he sees you. He made you. He knows every part of you. He knows the secret parts of you that nobody else even knows. And he still loves me. That's the good news. He still loves you. No matter the things that people know about, the things you're willing to confess to him, he sees it all. And he loves you the same. You know, we try so hard in the flesh to to create accolades, to, to, to put on a show for people, to post things about our, our life that make people go, wow, their life is so... But you know, in the end, it doesn't even matter. You know, this may be a distraction for you, but I was distracted this morning. Someone came up to me and said, so look at this. Look what happened today. I'm like, what is it? And maybe some of you know, maybe some of you know, it says that Kobe Bryant is allegedly dead in the, in the helicopter crash. And the first thing I thought was, man, how can I preach now? Like, I'm a Lakers fan, all these things, right? But then God reminded me, I didn't drop it in your lap for distracted. I dropped it as an illustration. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not trying to use Kobe's life as an illustration, but I'm saying this. It doesn't matter how many trophies he won, how many championships he went to, how many things. He stood before, if this is true now, he stood before the king of all, the creator of the universe and the, the, the just God he is. We're all going to stand in front of the judge one day. We are all, and he's not going to look at our resume. He's going to look at, did I trust in his son Jesus' death on that cross? Did I believe in salvation in my heart and confess with my mouth? That's all he's going to look at. And he'll say, I knew you or I didn't know you. That will happen to every single person in this room. It doesn't matter if you're famous, infamous, or not famous. 
It would happen to everybody. So God reminded me even more this morning that life is so fragile. We think we have all this time. Says who? Now, I'm not saying doomsday prepper or, or be, be like, be like um, uh, so paranoid. I'm saying, God, you got me here on earth still for a reason. Let me know why and let me serve you in it. I will be the best dad I can for the time I got here. I'll be the best husband I can. I'll be the best worker I can. I'll be the best pastor I can. I just do the best unto you, God. Everything that we do, the Bible says, we do it as unto the Lord. No matter if you're picking up rubbish at the park or serving the homeless or feeding your kids or walking your dog, everything we do, God has opportunity to work through. So I want just to to take that gravity in. that It doesn't matter what you accumulate here on earth. It's meaningless in the end. What matters is have we said, I trust in the death of Jesus on that cross for my salvation and figured out that my identity is in him, not in anything else. Because you know what else we talked about this morning, and we're going to end pretty soon with this if, if you're wondering, is that now what happens with the encounter, what, what happens with encountering God, what, what should happen with us experiencing revelation from God, what should be the over, overflow or the evidence of it? And again, not to judge or not to, to categorize, but Matthew 26 again, is just another piece of this puzzle that reminds us that if we're supposed to submit our ways to God so that he makes our path straight, but along the path, there's some distraction. Paul reminds us, don't get distracted. Stop trying to please people. Just walk the walk God has you to walk. He has to also remind us along the way, there'll be people that probably have good intentions, but what is the source of our are, are, are pressing in? Is it just self-talk? Is it just positive language? It's more than that. It's more than just mustering up, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Because honestly, even some of us in this room, and I've been there before, so I'm not judging you. I'm saying I've been there before. Even in our walk with Jesus, some areas of our walk with Jesus, we base what we do on what others do or think about us or don't think about us. Like, we look at somebody else's life, and their life seems blessed. And we're like, what aren't we doing enough of? And you think you got to do the same thing they do to get exactly the same thing they got. But that's the wrong formula. Just celebrate what they got. And continue to seek after what God has for you. But Matthew 26 says this. When Jesus came to a home in Bethany, and his home belonged to Simon the leper. Imagine having that name in the town. Simon the leper. Like, just call me Simon, please. Why you got to call me by my infirmity? That's just rude to me. But Matthew included. Matthew must have been like, I should include Simon the leopard. It's going to be read every Sunday when they read this. It'd be funny. But <laughs> with Simon, it was Simon's home. Then a woman came to him with this alabaster jar that housed a very expensive perfume. And then she took that very expensive per- perfume poured it on the head of Jesus as he was just sitting back at the table. And when the disciples saw this, look at their response. They were like furious. They were indignant. And their question was, why the waste? Like they're they're followers of Jesus. And this woman decides to do a, a good thing for him. And all they could think of is, what a waste. Why waste this perfume, they asked. 
This perfume could have been sold at a pretty good penny, and the money we got from this perfume, we could have done something good for the world, like feed the poor or something. But why waste it on Jesus? You know what he, what the contrast is, is like sometimes you put so much gravity and weight in doing good things for people. It's not bad. It's like we put so much stock in just doing good things for people. We forget the main thing is Jesus. We can mask, can I say at times, make us feel like we're, we're, we're spiritual by doing good things for people. But our time with Jesus is nil. It's not there. We base our faith and our, 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 our walk with God based on our work still. Some of us got to turn from that and just spend time with Jesus and still do the good works, but spend time with Jesus. That's what he wants us to focus on the most. Because other people in the room was like, that's a waste. We could have done something good for the poor. And Jesus was aware of it and still dripping with perfume. He probably smelled good and all that. And he didn't blink an eye, eye or he didn't you know, bat an eye at it. He just said, you're right. But why are you bothering this woman? I mean, she did this. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing. The poor you talk about, they'll always be among you, but you'll not always have me. And so when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it. This is her intention to prepare me for burial. She did something out of the goodness of her heart. She did this thing out of the honoring of her heart. She gave the most expensive thing she had for this purpose. And I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached, what she did is going to be told about her. It wasn't about the good deed she did for others. It was about what she was willing to give to the Lord. It was the best that she had. And some of us in this room know this story, and some of us don't know the backstory of it. But what would drive somebody to give their best to Jesus? To not be distracted by the haters. You know what I'm talking about? Like worshiping God with everything they got, and someone going, that's weird. Like in this room of worshipers, some of us in this room love raising our hands. We love dancing. We love shouting. We love just giving God our very praise. And then some people look at that and they don't understand where that comes from. Well, this story kind of reminds me of where it comes from. Jesus was in the home of Simon. But not only was he in that home, in John it talks about the same account. But it says Mary was there, Martha was there, and Lazarus was there. And it says people actually came to see this guy Lazarus because Lazarus, if you know the story, was raised from the dead by Jesus. And so they wanted to actually come and see Lazarus. Jesus was all right, but they wanted to see this guy who was raised from the dead and figure out, is this for real? And so in Mary, some accounts believe that it was Mary who broke the jar over his head. So you have Mary, the brother of Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead, pouring out the most expensive perfume. You see where I'm going with this? Why did she become so extravagant? Because she experienced her brother being raised from the dead. And so she knew Jesus is all who he says he is because of her experience. While other people were hating on her expression, she was like, you have no idea about the experience I had with God. He raised my brother from the dead. So he is worth it. He is worthy of all this. 
Some of us in this room have had Lazarus moments when God resurrected your marriage, resurrected your very life, resurrected your identity, resurrected something that you thought was dead. And when you worship, you worship because it's out of the encounter with God. And people may call it extravagant, but you call it worship. My heart, church, is this. It doesn't matter where you sit in the church. Extravagant worship can happen in the back. It doesn't mean the most spiritual people are in the front now. Just because you sit in the first couple of rows doesn't mean that the most spiritual. I would love to see God's worshipers from front to back. That the people in the back will not just be spectators, but they will be participating in what God is so amazing. When we sing the goodness of God all my life, God, you've been faithful. I can think about the time when you protected me from that dumb decision. You are, you are faithful, God. So I will worship you. So lifting your hands isn't, well, the worship team said to no, it's a response of, man, you are awesome. You guys ever been to a concert or a basketball game? If I were to videotape you at a concert or a basketball game, doing the same thing for the guy on the stage or the guy on the court, you'd be like, that's, that's what we do. That's normal. I'm, I'm cheering him on. I'm like, yeah, let's go. But in here, we're like, all my life. <laughs> I'm like, all my life, Lord. All my life you've been faithful. And I'm not saying this to you because I need you to do something. I'm saying, is it who you are? Is it, can you think about the goodness of God and let that be your expression? Not what anybody else thinks about you in this room. Like, if you can't lift your hands amongst Christians, where can you lift your hands? Like, that's what I think Sunday service is all about. Not just me talking to you. It's us collectively bringing our testimonies together and sharing with one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another. Not just, well, what did the pastor say today? No. Who did you minister to today? After service, someone came up to me and told me what they got from the message. That ministered to me. You know when you leave this place? It's the same challenge as last week. I would love you to take the one thing you learned this morning or heard from God and tell somebody at work, tell somebody at your soccer field, Tell somebody at Starbucks. Tell somebody at the gas station. Tell somebody at Costco. Tell somebody in line. Say, you know what? God is good, man. And share something you learn. That, that doesn't take a lot of effort, but it takes a lot of faith, a lot of trust. Start with people at work. You know, hey, I went to church this week. You know what I heard this week? It's unreal. And you share one thing, and that's it. You never know what that word will do for that person. God may use you in that cubicle to bless somebody else going through the same thing, but you decide to hang on to that, even though inside, like, man, God just spoke to me. Well, then let it out then. Tell somebody about it. Post it. Share it. Tell somebody at Starbucks. This week, that's my challenge for you, is to share what God is doing in your life, because don't hold it in. If God's doing a work in your heart, share it with other people. I want to invite the worship team up. We're going to close with this. We're going to close with this. I want to not only share with people what God is doing, but here's another challenge as we leave. Because I want you to take away something from this morning. Not just hearing something, not just feeling something, but actually having something to do. I mentioned earlier that all you got to do is put God in your schedule, meaning I have 24 hours in the day. God, this time is yours. And here's one thing I would like you guys to maybe consider doing in that time. Opening your Bible up, finding a blank page somewhere, 
maybe getting a journal, starting a prayer journal. And I want you to sit there, and I want you to have a pen ready, and I want you to think about the things that God, that you can look at your life, and, and even, if, even if you don't know, okay, even if you don't know if this is true or not, but you just are thinking it and you're feeling it, God can use that, you know. Write down, like, the moments of your life where you just can't explain it, but you feel like or you know or you believe that that was God. What does that look like? I remember when I was a teenager, and I was a dumb teenager, and I was a reckless teenager. I was a, not a good kid sometimes. But what I remember about this is this. When I was a teenager, I wasn't a Christian yet, but God used a Christian family in my life to bring me to church. And I wasn't even a believer. I didn't even know God, care about God, but I went for other reasons. And I wrote that down one time saying, God, I thank you for that family for taking me to church. Your hand was on me even as a teenager. I wasn't even a Christian yet. I wasn't even a believer yet, but God still had his hand on me. God has a plan for me. And so when I thought about that, it reminded me like, yes, 